This is Ryan Martin, the host of Psychology and Stuff. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you like psychology. And if you like psychology, you will love All the Rage, the podcast on anger and violence out of Phoenix Studios. On All the Rage, my co-host Chuck Ryback and I talk about everything from internet trolls to toxic masculinity to road rage. We bring you mad science, anger management tips, and tons of stories about people losing their cool. You can learn more about All the Rage and other Phoenix Studios podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast. All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psychology program and host of Psychology and Stuff. And today we've got a great interview for you. Charlie Blair Broker, author of the textbook Thinking About Psychology, was in Green Bay for our Excellence in Psychology Instruction conference a few weeks ago. Charlie taught high school psychology for more than 30 years at Cedar Falls High School in Iowa. Oh, and by the way, he's got a national teaching award named after him, the American Psychology Association Teaching of Psychology in Secondary Schools Charlie T. Blair Broker Excellence in Teaching Award recognizes outstanding teachers of psychology. He was one of our keynote speakers, gave an incredible talk, and sat down to chat with our very own Georgina Wilson Dungess and West De Pere High School's psychology teacher Chris Hamp. Here is that interview. Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Psychology and Stuff. My name is Georgina Wilson-Dengis, and I am sitting in for Ryan Martin today, uh, and we have a, a fabulous show for you today. I would like to introduce our um, guests, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves, and so we have... Hi, everyone. I'm Charlie Blair Broker. Uh, I taught high school uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, high school psychology for over 35 years, and now I'm an adjunct at Hawkeye Community College in Waterloo, Iowa. And my name is Christopher Hamp, and I teach at the West Pier High School. I teach an AP slash college credit in high school psychology course. Terrific. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so the reason why these two special guests are on our campus today is that we are hosting the EPIC, the Excellence in Psychology Instruction Conference today. Uh, and it's part of a larger consortium, a year-round collection of Midwest uh, teachers of psychology at the high school and the college level. And so we are so excited uh, to have you both here. And Charlie gave a, um, an address, a invited address earlier at the conference. And so I don't know if our listeners know this, uh, but Charlie might be considered um, one of the most famous uh, teachers of high school psychology. And, and I'm wondering how did you decide that you wanted to be a high school teacher of psychology? How did your path lead you there? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, was, I was going to be a clinical psychologist. I uh, did my undergraduate work at St. Olaf College in uh, Minnesota and applied to grad schools in clinical psych. Um, and surprisingly, the University of Iowa accepted me. Uh, and I started that program, but I, I really hadn't thought it through. Uh, I'd never spent adequate time uh, uh, sort of plotting a, a path. Uh, kind of interesting because we just heard a talk <laughs> about that. Um, and they accepted me, so I went. Uh, and uh, I made it through my first semester, and I was doing fine. Uh, but I really wasn't satisfied. I, I didn't uh, feel like clinical work was a, a good match for me. 
And I was walking to class one morning, and uh, it hit me like the proverbial bolt out of the blue. Uh, and the thought struck me that I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist. I wanted to teach psychology to high school students, which was very odd because there are no teachers in my family. I'd never taken an education class. Uh, uh, I don't know where the idea came from, but it was, it was strong enough that I uh, cut class that morning, which I rarely did. And I went to the registrar's office and I said, what can I do? How do I make this happen? Uh, and two years later, I was teaching. So. So why psychology in the, in the vast array of things you could be a teacher of? Why well, psychology? Yeah, I think it's because that's where my undergraduate degree was. Uh, the psychology always fascinated me. Uh, so I, I didn't have a problem with that. I just had a problem with the clinical work uh, and the thought of you know five or six more years of school. Uh, that was part of it as well. Uh, and I, I liked working with kids. I'd done some counseling experiences, camp counseling experiences, uh, and realized how fun it was to um, work with young people about that age. And it just, it, it, the idea just struck me as right. Uh, when, I, when I informed my advisor at Iowa that I was going to make the switch, uh, he didn't like that. <laughs> uh, I think when they accept as few people as they do in clinical programs, they view any departure as a failure on their part, and they tried very hard to talk me out of it. In fact, I was told it was the worst mistake I'd, I'd made in my life uh, when it turned out, in reality, to be the best decision I ever made. Uh, never looked back, and I've always enjoyed my career and just felt very fortunate to, to be able to teach something I love uh, to students and introduce them to it for the first time. So do you think that your success in the classroom drew you to writing a textbook for high, high school psychology teachers? How did that come about? <laughs> well, that's another interesting story, too. It, it's uh, so often fate uh, makes uh, uh, turns in our pathway that we don't anticipate. Um, uh, my friend and co-author, Randy Ernst, uh, we were reading AP exams in the early 1990s at uh, Clemson University, and we were up very, very late one night and had had a couple beers, uh, <laughs> and we're talking about uh, the state of high school psychology textbooks, not the AP textbooks, but the high school textbooks, and how, how much of a struggle it had been to find books that we thought worked well in our classrooms, uh, and realized there, there wasn't one. So we said, well, we could do that. Not, not any idea the, <laughs> the enormity of what I'd, we just said. Uh, and we explored it at that point, and uh, the road was blocked. Uh, we knew uh, college uh, textbook authors, several of them, mostly through the AP program, uh, but they couldn't connect us with anyone because the publishing world is set up uh, with the K-12 uh, part of the organization uh, being entirely separate from the college part of the organization. So they're different development editors, different sales forces. Um, we just didn't have any inroads. So we said, okay, that was a, a fun idea to, to talk about very late one night uh, and put the idea to rest. And then uh, a couple years later, uh, Dave Myers, uh, author of one of the, the, the best-selling college-level textbooks, uh, contacted me. Uh, and he'd had this idea that there ought to be a, a, a high school level textbook and somehow decided that I would be the person to work on, on that. Uh, and that opened the doors. He had the connections to be able to do it. Uh, and everything else just kind of developed from there. And it's been just a, a remarkable 
opportunity. I mean, how many high school teachers get an opportunity to write a textbook? Uh, and I just, uh, the people I've met as a result of that and the, the thinking I was required to do to, to really determine, you know, what's important and what, what belongs in a book and how do you convey uh, in writing. Uh, both Randy and I, the, the idea was that we wanted it to be narrative. We wanted to tell stories in the book because we knew that's how effective teaching happened. Um, but to, to get it on paper, you know, get the right little squiggles of ink uh, <laughs> to convey an idea, that was a, a challenge. And I, I'm still not sure we're very good at it. We're working on the fourth edition, but uh, uh, it's been fun trying. Do you get feedback from uh, high school teachers? And does that change the content of your text over the editions? Uh, yes, it, it does. We get a, a lot of feedback from teachers. Uh, I, both Randy and I like to come to things like Epic and, and uh, meet and talk with teachers. And uh, teachers are very generous with their praise and their criticism. Uh, and we listen to it all and take it to heart. Uh, students a little bit less frequently, but occasionally you'll get an email from a student. We, we uh, are assigned uh, by the publisher email addresses so that we, we get the feedback when it comes. Uh, and always appreciate hearing because, uh, you know, books are interesting. You, you produce them and they're out there and you never quite know what happens with them or uh, the impact that they're having. That's great. So you've had many, many successful accomplishments over your your career. Can you think of one that you're particularly proud of? I, you know, it just amazes me the the things that I I, I get to do. I think uh, the thing that pleases me most is just the connections with other teachers. Uh, I never really set out to be anything other than a teacher uh, and uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunities to serve on committees and, and help uh, you know work on projects uh, but the people I've met uh, that's the best part of it um, stretching all the way from the people that mentored me and had faith in me and encouraged me uh, to now a new generation of teachers that uh, uh, give me credit for opening doors for them. Uh, and that's just tremendously satisfying uh, and uh, just a, a real uh, satisfying aspect of my life and career. And you were talking earlier uh, in your keynote address about the history of high school psychology. And it was a history that I was not familiar with. And I was, I could tell from the joy in your voice when you got to the end, to the most recent history, that high school psychology has grown uh, in both in the, the number of students, of course, like literally grown, uh, but also grown in the respect that it has in the AP, at, at APA mm -hmm. and other places. Can you talk a little bit about um, the, the short history of, of high school psychology and how that has grown to be a really amazing uh, force yeah. Um, psychology is, has always struggled, I think, in the high school curriculum because n nobody's ever really quite known what to do with it, uh, what its goal should be, um, uh, what it should achieve, what to call it even. Um, and some of those problems still exist. Uh, you fight against the media perception of psychology and, and the, the radio psychologists and uh, newspaper psychologists uh, who sometimes portray accurate research-based psychology and, and sometimes not. Uh, and brick by brick, I think, you build a structure that uh, 
uh, does a better job of introducing students to this remarkable and broad field, um, most of whom come in uh, with either a wrong notion of what psychology is or a limited notion. They think that psychology is, is clinical, and that's, that's it. Uh, and if you ask students on day one, I've done this, to take out a piece of paper and a pencil and just sketch a picture which they think represents psychology, draw a psychologist at work. Um, they draw Freud uh, and a couch, uh, and that's who they've heard of, and that's what they think. And it's almost literally everybody uh, that, that thinks of psychology in that way. And that's not wrong. He's part of the history of psychology. Um, but there's so much more to it uh, and so much um, uh, opportunity to explore every aspect of, of uh, our lives, our students' lives. Uh, I don't think there's any course that uh, brings together uh, relevance and rigor like psychology does. Uh, every page, every unit, every lesson, every week deals with some aspect of ourselves uh, and what we do. Uh, and to do it right, to separate the, the common sense, which often isn't true, uh, and replace it with conclusions that are, are research-based uh, and that have, have uh, some level of certainty um, is, is really a, a neat thing to, to see happen, to see occur. Uh, and it, uh, it uh, takes a while to do that. Chris, how long have you been teaching? This is year 16 for me. Yeah. yeah. And I really love psychology. And that's when I actually, after I started teaching it in high school, is when I really started to realize, wow, this is what I really love. And what I love about it is I just said, like, it's so applicable to everything in your life and how it relates. And, you know, the kids can take that home with them. So it's just great. Have you seen changes? In, in how the course is portrayed or structured or comes across in the years that you've been doing it? Um, well, it's only my seventh year here in West Appear doing the college credit psychology. So I have not personally seen in that the last seven years um, in that time period the change. But, um, you know, so the, the change for me was just um, the, the introduction to the AP world and, you know, the rigor of that class to the students and uh, the college credit cl curriculum to the students is, you know, so advanced and it's, you know, such a higher level thinking and that's, it's really great. So, Do you think that there's a struggle um, thinking about the, the rigor uh, that, that you were just re both referring to? Do you think it's a struggle because of the limited perception of psychology when students the first day they're in your class and, and all the other high school classes that they're taking um, and then they come into psychology and they think whoo this is going to be my easy class because it's all about helping people and I love helping people and so I'm going to be great at this is going to be an easy A. What do you think hap how do you transition them to to not be that way, but still love it and see, and not be afraid and run away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the AP program itself tends to focus students, and they come in, most of them, not all of them certainly, uh, with a level of commitment uh, that, that, um, that might be self-generated, that might come from a guidance counselor, might come from a parent or an older sibling, but they, they know they're going to have to invest a little bit uh, more in it. Uh, I really see that now that I teach at community college. I just uh, I don't get the motivation with students that I, I did before. 
Um, and then the, the other part of it, I think, is, is to uh, show them how, I mean, we all think we're experts in psychology. We're all people. We all behave. We know other people. You know, of course, we uh, we're have experts. Brains. Yeah, yeah. Are you telling me I don't understand people? <laughs> of course I understand people. So yeah, just little things, you know. It's common sense that birds of a feather flock together. We all know mm -hmm. that. Grandma told us that, you know. <laughs> but it's also common sense that opposites attract. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> How can they both be common sense? They contradict one another. Uh, and there are a number of things you can do like that to kind of illustrate the, the what seems uh, correct uh, in retrospect or because I'm looking at a limited sample uh, may only apply under certain circumstances. And to get them to begin to think about, well, where might this finding apply? Where it might not apply? What difference does it make if the research was collected in the laboratory as opposed in the real world? Um, how, how do we balance this, this, uh, these two sides of uh, trying to gain more control over a situation to really understand the outcome with making it so artificial that it's not really applicable? Uh, and when they begin to see research as, as more of a game, um, a strategy game, than some onerous set of steps that one must follow, uh, the analogy I give them is, is whack-a-mole, the arcade game, where as soon as you whack down one problem that comes up, another uh, that comes up, another one replaces it. And, and it, it's hard, even the simplest research design, to have it be perfect. There are always things to criticize. And uh, I acknowledge to them that they probably won't be researchers. Most of my students won't. Most of Chris's students won't. But we all consume research. We can't turn on the, the Internet. You know, we can't pick up a newspaper without reading about some study. And if they're going to be well-equipped in the modern world, they need to have a way to sift out the good research from the bad research. And a lot of what I think we have to do is teach scientific literacy, uh, which is all critical thinking, really. Uh, but just like regular literacy is important, uh, numerical literacy is important. How many students don't know the difference between a billion and a trillion? I mean, that's a big difference, but to them, it's just big numbers, yeah. you know? So a lot of it is to, to help them realize where the gaps are, uh, that they aren't prepared to do this, that, that there are things they don't understand, and it's cool to understand them. It, it, it's important to understand them, and it's empowering to understand them. Uh, and you try to build on that. Uh, it doesn't work with every student, but uh, it's, you get the opportunity, I think, in psychology that maybe doesn't come up in physics. Uh, that maybe doesn't come up in, in a history class. Uh, and I know I'm biased, <laughs> but I just think you can do so much more with the content uh, because kids come and they're, most of them are inherently interested. How can you not be interested? And even the units they think they aren't going to be interested in, sensation and perception, you know, why do I need to know eyeball parts? Well, because that connects you to the world, you know, that there's nothing without your eyes and your ears and the other sensory processes. And a lot of it is just context, you know, how you introduce a topic uh, and how you kind of pull on the right little triggers to get them intrigued with it the first time. And once you get that bite, uh, then, then you can start to reel them in and it works pretty well when it works. Yeah. And it's great to be able to tell them, yes, you are going to help people with psychology it just might not be in the way that you think <laughs> you know it might not be a couch you know mm -hmm. like in a in a therapy session mm -hmm. it may be something that you don't even imagine yet but i think that the root of psychology is helping people be better people mm -hmm. in whatever way that you're focusing on that's great um so i'm wondering if you could Imagine a piece of advice 
that you would give to a, um, a new uh, high school teacher? We had maybe a half a dozen first year uh, high school psychology teachers here at the conference. What's a piece of advice that you would give them um, from your many years of experience? Yeah, I'm, I'm not that good at advice. Uh, <laughs> that's hard. And I think for new teachers, especially in today's political and economic uh, climate, things are stacked against them to begin with. Uh, they're given too much to do. They don't have the resources, uh, particularly time, uh, to get them done. Uh, and it wears at you. And I think most people come in wanting to be the best teacher that they can be. Uh, and then they're not given the tools to do that. Uh, and then you couple that with the fact that a lot of the people who teach psychology don't really have the background to teach it uh, because they're hired as social study teachers and, mm -hmm. and half of their preparation is, is history or government. Uh, and there's this odd section of, of psychology, especially in smaller school, schools, uh, rural Wisconsin schools, rural Iowa schools. So they're, they're added this, this content that they don't know uh, and I don't know anything more frustrating than to try to teach something that you don't know. I mean, that, that's the deck is stacked against you, uh, and you're trying to stay one one step ahead. And then they have to coach and and uh, manage the yearbook and uh, direct the play, and uh, it's just it's an almost overwhelming amount of stuff. So the advice would be uh, to to keep things realistic. Uh, to uh, uh, understand that it's not going to be perfect the first year, or maybe not even the fifth year. Uh, but what you want to do is make progress every day, every class period, every unit. Uh, don't focus on, you know, how am I going to get this done? Focus on what can I do today to, to be a better teacher, to make this a better experience uh, for my students. Uh, I ran a couple marathons uh, in an earlier uh, point in my life. And, and I wrote the textbook, uh, and there are two very different tasks, but there are tasks that if you thought about it globally, how am I gonna write a book, how am I gonna run 26 miles, um, it was devastating. You know, you just wanna throw up your hands and say, why, why did I ever commit to this? Uh, mm -hmm. But if you thought about today, today I have to write two pages, today I have to run eight miles, um, then it becomes more doable. And I, I think that one of the keys to success is to, to keep your eye on that big picture but to, to think about what I can do in this hour. What can I do in this day? What can I do this week to move the deal along? Uh, and that's hard because there's so many things you know, competing. Uh, but I think it's important to keep all of those in kind of the proper ratio. And that might be different for different people. You know, where does family come in? Where does the second job come in? Uh, where do personal interests come in? Uh, but I think that to view it day by day, week by week, I tell students the same thing, especially AP students. You know, they think, how am I going to get ready for this test? Well, don't <laughs> worry about that. You know, worry today about uh, learning Piaget stages, and then we'll go on from that tomorrow. Wow. So you said a quote uh, during your talk this morning, don't shoot skinny rabbits, which I just <laughs> adore the, the analogy there. Um, in the concept, context of picking your battles, <laughs> what do you think is... Um, a fight that you're going to take over the next five years, um, thinking about psychology. What's what's worth fighting for in the next five years? I, I think, again, there are several levels. Um, I'm a strong believer in public education and uh, uh, am willing to fight to preserve uh, public education. Um, something changed in my career toward the end 
Uh, I'd never felt like the enemy before, never felt like a target before. Um, and largely I was insulated from that because uh, I had a reputation in my building as being a good teacher and people you know, kind of left me alone. Um, but I, I do think that uh, teachers have to fight to preserve uh, public education in a time when, when there are those that truly do want to dismantle the system. Uh, within psychology, I, I think I want, uh, I'm willing to fight for a more uh, accurate public depiction of what psychology is. I think too often we're judged by our history. You know, uh, Freud, he was a nut. Uh, all psychologists believe in Freud. Well, we don't judge chemistry based on alchemy. You know, <laughs> why, why aren't we allowed uh, mistakes and turns in the road like mm -hmm. other disciplines are? Mm -hmm. uh, the psychology did have some of that in its past, uh, but uh, it's gotten better. Uh, and it's difficult, it's complex. It, uh, What's more difficult to study than the human brain, uh, human behavior, emotions? Uh, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not important and doesn't mean that the, the rules and principles of how uh, science operates uh, don't apply. Uh, so I, I'm willing to fight that one too. That is wonderful. Is there anything that you wanted to add or Chris that you wanted to add before um, we close out the show? Well, I was just, uh, when you said about, um, about how to grow as a psychology teacher, you know, as, a seventh, as my seventh year doing this, 16 years of teaching psychology, uh, there have been some groups I've joined. Uh, Amy Ramponi started Fox Tops and Cow Tops. And when I moved That's a great into, shirt, by the way, the Cow Top shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came here seven years ago, my battle was learning the curriculum. Uh, and that was a big step. But, uh, and I didn't have a lot of resources and lesson plans and unit ideas and and uh, so that was my stepping stone, getting into getting the resources. And uh, your textbook, Thinking About Psychology, what a wonderful test bank. Um, and just uh, the resources, the packet that comes with it. And for new psychology teachers to delve into is just so, so important. And uh, this, in the seven years I've gone from really starting from nothing to, I think, a pretty dynamic curriculum for my students. And, but it's thanks to a lot of people. And so it's been really nice. It's a group effort. It really is. Uh, one thing that Worth Publishers did that uh, Randy and I really appreciated it was they allowed us to choose our own supplements team. So that test bank is because of the efforts of Rob McIntyre for primarily. It's one of the uh, best. Yeah, and uh, just we, we were able to get people who really knew what they were doing. Uh, and I'd agree with that. I think uh, the, the two um, develop networks where we can rely on each other. Uh, I think what uh, Green Bay is doing with EPIC and having this conference each year and providing an opportunity for teachers to come and sit down and meet face-to-face -face, uh, is, is perhaps the single most important thing that can happen. Uh, and it's nice to be able to follow up with the internet. That wasn't there when I started my career and, and one really did feel isolated. Uh, I mean, there was, there was no one to talk to, nobody to laugh at the psychology jokes, nobody even understood <laughs> them. Uh, and the fact that, that uh, we can now get together, and those get-togethers didn't happen then, uh, and then follow up electronically, digitally, um, just makes it so much easier and so much more comforting and, and gives you a sense that you're on the right track uh, that didn't used to exist. I think that that's definitely true. I also feel like the connection between our university and our surrounding high schools is so much better today than it was before. And I feel like the value um, that we see at the university in high school education in psychology 
is so elevated today. And so we can be a resource for each other Mm -hmm. and work together. And I think that for me, that's the battle that I'm like willing and excited to fight is um, how we can better support teachers Mm -hmm. with resources back and forth and and share those ideas. And it is really nice face to face and then to be able to say, oh, I'll just email that to you later. (laughs) And you do. And it's so it is really a a great world to find that support. And And that's a two way street. And I think a lot of high school teachers don't realize that, that, that certainly you can enrich our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Regan this morning volunteered to provide people with you know, copies of textbooks that we don't get, right. uh, that's neat. To be able to bring students in to see a lab, you know, that's wonderful. But uh, we can also provide things for you in terms of a conduit of possible students, um, uh, sometimes research participants, there may be a lot of red tape there, yeah. uh, but sometimes that can work out. Uh, sometimes we know more in terms of activities and demonstrations than the college uh, professors uh, might know. And I think that, that that synergy works out well. Uh, our Iowa version of this conference, uh, ITOP, uh, one of the things that we did when we founded that conference back in the year 2000 was to specifically work to bring uh, intro teachers from all levels together. So ideally, we'd have a third high school teachers, a third uh, community college teachers, and a third four-year college teachers. And the ratio is never quite right, but we always have representation from all three groups, which I think is just one of the most wonderful things about it. Absolutely. Well, um, cheers to the future of uh, psychology at all levels. Thank you both so much for joining us for Psychology and Stuff. And that is it. All right, and that is our episode for today. I want to say a special thanks to Charlie Blair Broker, Georgina Wilson-Dungis, and Chris Hamp. I also want to thank Kate Farley, our producer, Kimberly Lease, our podcast artist, and our intern, Sophie Seeland, who's been recording and editing these episodes. I want to talk about our next episode, except I actually don't know what it's going to be. We are still trying to work out what's going to be next. We're a couple weeks in advance right now, so stay tuned for what we're going to talk about next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.